Today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very fortunate to chat to Nicole Giller, and Nicole is an oncology dietitian, and she's based in Washington. Uh, so thank you very much to Nicole for coming on and speaking to me. It's really appreciative of you taking the time out and going through essentially what it is that you do with regards to being a oncology dietitian. So if you could just explain briefly what the role of um, an oncology dietitian is and how that sort of differs, I suppose, from your regular dietitian. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Andrew, for having me on. I'm really excited to chat with you and um, to share. So basically, an oncology dietitian, um, what we do is we really focus on optimizing the treatment outcomes for cancer patients. So I, I uh, work with adults, um, men and women of all different types of cancers, and our job is to support whatever the oncologist has prescribed for the treatment plan. We support as far as nutrition, food and nutrition goes so that they can make it all to, to all of those treatments. So we want less mistreatments, we don't want to reduce doses, and we can do that by supporting the patient to make sure they are well-nourished. And um, the tricky part with, with cancer and the treatments is the side effects are you know so crazy. You have your nausea, vomiting, mucositis, so many different types of side effects that we have to kind of work around with nutrition. Um, you can't just push through these side effects. You can't just push through mucositis or taste changes like there's actually a lot of different ways we can tweak food to support patients. So ultimately, we just want to keep them eating and then also just to dispel so many of the crazy myths around nutrition with cancer mm -hmm. so that patients can feel more confident eating more because it is totally safe and is very necessary. Cool. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to go through some questions um, regarding nutrition and I suppose one of the, the most common ones that I hear a lot is um, mm -hmm. what are the foods that are associated and correlated or even cause cancer. So that would be my first question to you. Okay, yeah. So actually there's not that many. So the risk, there's just like a couple, really honestly, that have been well supported and well researched. So the World Cancer Research Fund and I'm, I'm here in the U.S., so I pull a lot of my recommendations from the American Institute for Cancer Research, mm -hmm. but they, they work with the World Cancer Research Fund. And what they look at is, you know, all over the world, you know, hundreds of studies, you know, millions of participants, you know, what is, what really is a strong, what strong evidence to increase risk. And the only thing they found across the board for all cancers with food is um, they, you want to limit, not omit, but limit red meats to 18 ounces or less per week okay so that's per week and that's limit that's not omit so you totally still can have a burger and it's fine and that's related to colorectal cancer and then uh processed meats mm -hmm. processed meats you want to actually omit those those are the only food that you know this research has shown like hey if you can please pull that out of your diet and it, they're not even really able to well explain why that uh risk okay. is so close and it's yeah right and it's for colorectal cancer um, they believe that for processed meats, it's the way it is processed. So that would be like your deli meats, um, like your your bacon, things like that. Um, 
but again, they're not exactly sure. And so sometimes people will be like, well, this is a really big part of my culture or I love that food. Mm. You know, then we kind of work in, okay, what are the foods that do help reduce risk? What are the other things that you can do to reduce risk? And we can incorporate those in. But honestly, the only food that maybe you could totally omit would be processed meats. And even then, um, you know, we can look at the other, other ways that if you still want to have those in your diet, there are other ways to help reduce risk. Um, you know, things like plants and exercise. Um, so that's really it. And the other thing is alcohol. So that's been more new. They found in the research to tie closer to a few different cancers. Um, so if you can, it used to be like two a day for men and one a day for women, but now they, the research has shown like, really, if you could omit that completely, that would be best, which is a hard recommendation. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, cause I mean, yeah, so that's, yeah. Cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Very tough. Um, especially in sort of, I suppose uh, the UK where it's, it's quite a bit of a culture thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's quite a a tough withdrawal. Yes, it is. And I get patients and yeah. And I, especially during cancer treatment, because you know, you want to try to avoid it just because it's another toxin, you know, your Mm. body's already trying to work off the other toxins of treatment, but then post cancer treatment. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's yeah. not a good one. So, you know, but again, what I do is I try to work with each individual cancer patient's lifestyle and they're like, hey, it's my special occasion or whatnot. I want to have a drink. You, know, you kind of look at what else they've been doing in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to encourage like more of a balance. Like maybe you're not like going hard on a bottle of wine every night, but like, you know, a glass of wine here and there. I think that because if it can support a quality of life, that has benefit. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which leads me on to my next question. So um, when we're talking about diet and we're looking at things like that and uh, obesity levels increasing, um, Mm -hmm. what's the risk associated uh, with obesity? So what's the risk of cancer with obesity? Yeah. So there is a pretty tight link. So again, the World Cancer Research Fund, they're amazing. So what they found is that with obesity, that correlated risk increases, okay? So um, it's really all about the fat tissue in our bodies, okay? So what happens is overweight and obesity or, or you know higher levels of fat tissue, it's going to increase risk for other things, other diseases, which in turn over time can increase risk for cancer. Right. So like the mechanisms like of more body fatness. Okay. So it's about like that fat tissue. Like let's say maybe, and they look at BMI. So like, let's say maybe the BMI is higher, but you're looking at the individual and there isn't a lot of body fatness that's different. Okay. We really want to focus in on the actual, um, adipose tissue because what that's actually doing is like the mechanisms, like there's certain things that happen. Like for example, it increases like the hormone insulin or, IGF-1, there's more of an increase in like the pro-inflammatory cytokines, those things over time really support more like carcinogenous or like the carcinogen process leading to cancer. And it's not, it suppresses the apoptosis. So like maybe there are cancer cells, but because of the side effects, the byproducts of more fat tissue, it's not able to go in and get rid of that cancer as well. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, to an yeah. extent. So um, to looking, which sort of leads on to my next question about mm-hmm. the, the mechanism behind obesity and mm-hmm. um, 
causing cancer. So um, it's like, a, is, is it a, a chronic low level inflammation? Is that? Yes. Sort of cause, um, yes, precisely. So, okay. And then mm-hmm. there's, which causes a lot of um, DNA damage and less repair. Is that, is that exactly. the case? Okay. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So it's like a chronic, so extra fat tissue within our bodies as adults the research really shows like adult weight gain adult body fatness okay Mm. over time over many years leading to cardiovascular disease diabetes metabolic syndrome all of that wrapped in with the changes in hormone levels Mm. creates a low-grade inflammatory state which like you just said supports you know cancer to progress and it does not you know it does not support making sure to you know get those dna damaged cells out as well so exactly right. what you said, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that leads us on to um, the next question from yeah. uh, from a diet perspective to reduce the risk. You know, sort of. Uh, we touched on it briefly. Uh, you were saying sort of foods to ex- things to exclude from your diet. Um, mm-hmm. What other sort of things can we? What foods can we include? And what else can yes. we do to? What sort of lifestyle factors can we do to reduce? Yes. Yes. And this is like my favorite topic because this is what I'm all about. Like what more can we have? Because cancer patients, there's so much like fear, like don't have this, don't have that. Or they like randomly will come up to someone with cancer and be like, well, you ate this. So that's what gave you cancer. It's just ridiculous. There's so much like I have had patients be like, I was hungry today, but I didn't eat because I just didn't know what to eat. So I love this topic because you can have all foods. Okay. You can. And it's really about, I love advocating more about what more we can have. And that is just more plants on our plate. So I'm not saying you have to go vegan. That's like number one, you don't have to be a vegan. You don't even have to be a vegetarian, but more plants. Hmm. So the American Institute for Cancer Research, what we found is that two thirds of your plate should be filled with plants, uh, nuts, seeds, whole grains, any types of fruits and vegetables. Okay. And like whatever you like, there's no special type, you know, there's no fruits and veggies. They're not superior, whatever the form they come in. People are always like, Oh my gosh, canned foods. That's so disgusting. No, not true. Those are still fruits and veggies, which have major benefit. Um, and then from there you can add in all your other foods on your plate. So it does, you know, your meats, your desserts, what your fats, all that stuff cannot, this should not be excluded, but it's more of plants. Um, And now certain fruits and veggies have been studied more. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe, you know, like I'll share on my page, like talking about like garlic or cranberries or squash or, you know, greens, things like that. Like, sure, they've been studied more, but that still doesn't mean that there isn't antioxidants in all the other fruits and veggies that have not been studied. So um, what's really cool, this is why um, plants are so important for to help reduce risk for cancer and support wound healing, support our immune system is because those um, vitamins that are within plants, they come in and they repair damaged cells. Okay. So it's really fascinating. Like you'll have every day our cells get damaged. That's just part of life. You eat like an orange and then those vitamins and minerals find those damaged DNA or damaged cells with damaged DNA and they just repair it. Boom. Back to a normal cell. It's really fascinating. Fantastic. So just, yeah. So just eat more fruits and veggies because cool. they'll, they'll do the work. Yeah. They'll get in your body and do the work. So you just got to eat more and just find the ones you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then uh, sort of other lifestyles, sort of factors that we can uh, incorporate to reduce the risk. You were saying sort of uh, touch on exercise uh, yes. and whatnot. 
And how oh does, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. So much. Uh, I love, okay. Here, these are like my two favorite topics. What more can we eat? What more can we, how more can we, can we move? Okay. So for cancer specifically, so during cancer treatment, it's very so important to not be totally sedentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so during cancer, so I'll talk about both. So during cancer treatment, you want to continue to be active. That actually will improve your mood, improve your side effects, improve your outcomes. But for cancer, um, so we always want to exercise even during cancer treatment. Okay, but then after cancer treatment, um, exercise helps to balance our hormones. That's what's so amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we talked about is, you know, what is actually happening? How is overweight and obesity affecting our cancer risk? Well, you know, with all these different levels of estrogen, progesterone, insulin, whatnot, exercise helps to balance those. Mm-hmm. So it's so important. Yes. And then even like kind of switching back a little bit to the risk of overweight and obesity increasing for cancer is that even a, like a little bit of weight loss, even like a little bit of reduction in fat tissue by incorporating exercise helps to reduce risk for cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't even have to be like, well, I'm never going to get within that normal body weight range or I'm not losing all the weight that I wanted. It's still ma- It matters if you reduce fat tissue. It matters if you lose some weight by incorporating exercise, balancing those hormones. It's so, so important. Um, Yes, exercise always, even during cancer treatment, um, and not just cardiovascular, also strength training. They both work together. It's very important. Fantastic. Good mm-hmm. to hear. Yes. Good to hear. Okay, yeah. and that brings me on to my last question. Are yeah, uh, which is the um, what's the most ridiculous or dangerous uh, approach to sort of let's say nutrition or curing. Um, that you've sort of personally heard, uh, you know, sort of what patients come to you and said, do I have to cut out, I don't know, sugar or something like this, mm-hmm. or what's caused it, or something has caused it. So yes. Like ridiculousness, fear mongering, well, I suppose. <laughs> There's like a, a lot. <laughs> okay, I can imagine. I can imagine. But yeah, right? So I think the big ones, sugar feeds cancer is number one for sure. And that's okay. been number one for a long time. People don't understand the what's going on behind the scene. So cancer takes nutrients from your body in any way that it wants, in mm-hmm. any way that it can. It's very adaptable. It's very smart, unfortunately. And so the one little bit is about how it has a higher um, uptake of glucose, which is like sugar. But um, what happens, and I've had patients, and it is very dangerous. So what happens is they hear about that myth. They follow it. They cut sugars out of their diet. And their cancer still progresses. And what really is dangerous about that is not only is the cancer untouched because it can pull nutrients from other sources besides glucose, but your healthy cells don't have the adaptability like cancer does. Cancer is weird. It has like its own thing going on, right? But our normal healthy cells are just waiting for glucose. Mm. Is that their preferred source of energy? Yeah. So if you're going to starve it from carbs or sugars, your healthy cells are going to go downhill. And like, like what I said, like, at the beginning of this is we want to support your healthy cells to be able to get through cancer treatment. So it really, outcomes are worse. If you follow the sugar feeds cancer and take out sugar from your diet, your outcomes are just going to be worse. You're going to feel worse. You may miss treatments. Malnutrition is a huge risk factor. So to me, that one is like the worst, yeah. the biggest. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones, oh my goodness. Well, I could go on all day, but let me tell you just like two others. So the other one is the alkaline diet. 
Yeah, that one's really hard because it just you get into these crazy weird patterns of eating that are that just it takes out so many different food groups. Yeah. Patients are concerned, paranoid about okay, is this food considered alkaline or acidic? It's taking more time away from them just actually being able to sit down and enjoy a meal yeah. around their side effects. Can mm-hmm. I just can I just clarify yes. what would happen if yes. you successfully sort of adjusted the pH like you actually did alkaline? Your body so moved it from seven point is it seven point three seven point four? What would happen if right, you came so, outside of that range? Well, you would be hospitalized. Well, first of all, you can't do it with food. So our our blood pH is like super regulated, like tight, with our lungs and our kidneys. Okay, mm. super tight. That's why when that pH goes off, people go on like ventilators or like dialysis. Like that's how extreme. It, like that's how hard it is to change your pH. And if it was able to change, which it can't from food, mm. you would be like rushed to the hospital and have to be on like those types of machines because our body just we can't get out of that pH. And mm. so the idea of changing your blood pH with food, it's just it's not physiologically possible. Now, what does happen is you can change the pH of your urine. Mm. But that's not affecting your cancer. And then also I talked to, I was talking to a scientist. Um, he works on, um, where, it's, I think it's in, it's in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. Um, anyway, so the whole bit about cancer loving an acidic environment, um, that really only comes into play when cancer is like pulled out of the body and put on a Petri dish. Right. So it doesn't even actually really work. Like let's just say, I mean, there's so many steps you have to go through to even make that diet work, which you can't. You can't bypass your, your kidneys and your liver and – or excuse me, your lungs and your kidneys. But um, you can't – you can't – cancer can't be manipulated when it's surrounded by all those healthy tissues in your body. It's just – that myth – that diet is just so made up. <laughs> I don't know how – it's just there's so many different factors. You can't do it, okay? Yeah. So it just – you end up – you can just change the pH of your urine, which does not affect your cancer diagnosis. Um, so I just, it's just another diet myth. Yeah. To be blunt. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And you, have you got one more? Have you got one more oh, ridiculous? Yes, we can yes. go on. But, uh, yeah, yeah we'll just we can go, go for on. one yeah, more. We'll do, yeah, <laughs> we'll do one more. So the big one right now I think is good. Oh, God, there's so many. Which one do I talk about? So there's fasting and then there's keto. Okay, so maybe more with the fasting um one because keto is more for everyone but i think especially for the cancer community fasting always comes up and it's so dangerous because i mean just think about it simply like fasting is when you're not eating right Mm. and so the whole bit about being successful for during cancer treatment um this is more for during cancer treatment andrew do you want me to maybe talk more about outside of cancer treatment or does it matter what do you think go for it okay so okay cool we'll just do this so during cancer treatment intermittent fasting it's not a good idea and so what ends up happening is there's different types of fasting okay there's you know there's even this one right now where it's like a 30 day only drink water that's like mm-hmm. a type of fasting mm-hmm. or like you don't eat a day or two before chemo or a day or two after. So there's different types. But the problem with fasting is that you're not eating and you're increasing your risk for malnutrition because when you have cancer, when you have the active disease and you're going through cancer treatment, your metabol- the way you, the, your body uses and metabolizes carbs, proteins, and fats is going to be different than when you're without cancer. So you have so much more, your body's just taking the cancer. It's just eating up so many more of those nutrients. So if you now fast and give your healthy cells less nutrients and have your cancer just pull more and more from your stores, you're just setting yourself up for 
just fatigue, not performing well, not feeling well. Chemo brain is a really big issue. Yeah. And our brains thrive off of carbs, right? So you basically are just starving your healthy cells. And the argument with that, and like what's just not been proven, but what they say is like, hey, cancer doesn't have a protective mechanism when you don't eat. So it's going to get hit harder with chemo if you don't eat. Okay, that's the, that's the argument and that your healthy cells would go under protective mode and they wouldn't get hit with chemo as hard. That's the argument, but it's just not actually true. Like your healthy cells during cancer treatment without nutrition would just go downhill. I mean, that's it. It's not going to help kill off your cancer better. You know, the treatment mm-hmm. will do that and it will do it better as long as your healthy cells are supported with good nutrition. So it's just not a good idea to skip food in general, and it's definitely not a good idea to fast and skip it for days on end, Um, usually because malnutrition is something that's pretty tricky and we're trying to avoid all the time that you don't want to make it worse by skipping days of eating. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, there's some um, dangerous and scary stuff. That's yeah, so just eat. The, the yeah. moral story is like, eat more, guys. It's yeah. cool. It's okay. Yeah. 